Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I have uh, a message. We're going to jump into a new series. And, and uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Brent. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at King's Church, and I've been off from preaching for the last month or so. And we left off in the month of June, really at what I would call the culmination uh, of a two-year journey that I think has launched us into a new season as a church. And I, I, I kind of came back from vacation. I sat down at my table, and I just, I just cleared everything and I sat down and I, I just breathed a prayer to the Lord and I, I just collected in my mind the last couple years, you know, COVID and the revelation process that that was and the, the undulations of that season and then the refinement and the breaking that God has brought me through and our church through and so many of you through and then even the, the journey of the month of June that we took. And for those of you who maybe just joined us, I'm always excited with new people in the summer, but in the month of June, our church really went after learning about the person of the Holy Spirit, but beyond that, asking the Holy Spirit to touch our lives fresh and I'm still really blown away by the reports and the testimonies from so many of you during that month. So many of you encountered a God you never knew knew you like that. And a God that really was there and present, not just an idea, but a person. And so I, so I sat there at my desk and I just, I, all that in mind, and I just put my hands down and I just said, Lord, now what? Now what? I've been the senior pastor here. I technically have been in charge or running or whole, handling things at a point level for 10 years this month. Crazy, eh? Uh, 10 years this month. And with all of that in mind, Lord, now what? And, and the, the very clear whisper of the Spirit just, just came to me. And I heard him say, I want you to learn to walk closer. I want you to learn to walk closer with me. I felt him inviting that in my life, an invitation to know him better, to, to trust him more, like we just sang, sung, singed. I never know which one to do there. An invitation to, to walk with him closer, to know him better. It's an invitation to friendship with the Holy Spirit. And I think God's inviting that for our whole church. That would include you, that God wants to know you. And so we are going to spend the next handful of weeks together on a series uh, called In Step, where we're looking at what does it mean to walk in friendship and relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's built around the idea of living with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you might already be asking, well, don't all believers walk with God? Don't we all know God? And don't we all walk with him? Well, maybe, maybe there's a spectrum Maybe some of us, maybe some more than others, maybe sometimes more than others. You know, if you were here last week, you heard a, a, a message from Matthew chapter seven where Pastor John talked about how Jesus gave that warning about there'll be many on the day of judgment that thought they knew me and walked with me, but I never knew them. So it is possible to be a believer and not walk with, in friendship with the Holy Spirit. And so we're gonna take some time 
and have a clear, applicable teaching series that hopefully is going to help you in your life, on your journey, experience the Holy Spirit consistently and move beyond, you know, the Spirit of God being this once in a while occurrence that maybe we come into a church service and we have tinglys and we feel emotion and then we go and we never have another moment like that until some specific day. We move beyond a one-time occurrence into a day-to-day relationship with His presence. That's our goal. That's what we're going to try to do. And what I want to do today is kind of set up some thoughts and to kind of give us some motivation to help us be motivated to to try to learn how to walk with the Holy Spirit. Here's something I've been thinking about, and I want to just set this up over the whole series. And it's it's a thought. It's a a point to ponder based on Scripture. And here, here it is. Scripture would indicate, and we're going to look at this today, that my life the quality and the, the durability of my life is the sum and the substance of my ability to, in every season and circumstance, live close to him. And I hope that this takes more meaning for us in the next five weeks. But this is essentially what the scripture would tell us, and we're going to dive into that in Galatians 5 in just a minute. But our lives, the sum and the substance, the quality, the duration, the durability, the eternality of our life is ultimately, in every season of circumstance, it's connected to my ability to live close to him. So today I want to talk about why we must walk closer. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to get you at all of our locations. You're all settled in. You're all so comfortable. Some of you got your, your, your summer shirts on. You looked way too relaxed. So I'm going to ask you to stand up for the reading of God's word. Can we do that? Just give God some reverence today. No, I really mean it. Stand up. This is the word of God. And we're going to read it. I'm going to read it over us. And I want you to listen as though God were speaking because this is his word. So all of our locations, if you're lagging in Halifax or Charlottetown, stand up. I mean you too. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 3. I'm going to read it over us and we'll spend some time unpacking it. Are you ready? For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the spirit, the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, there it is again, you are not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today, I want to give us three imperatives 
that hopefully is going to motivate or are going to motivate us to, to walk in the Spirit. How many of you know it's, it's, it's one thing to know something's good for you, it's another thing to have motivation to do that thing? Like we all know we all want to be healthier, right? But it wasn't until the crisis of Christmas of 2016 that I realized I have an eating and lack of exercise problem I need to take care of. I remember having Christmas dinner at my parents' house and stepping on the scale. I won't report to you what I saw. All I know is that was a critical moment where I made a decision. I am about to change my life. And it happened. And I want today to, to be your, your spiritual weight moment where we're going to step on the scale. And I hope through Paul's words, it's going to help motivate you to say, I want to live life in step with the Spirit. And Paul gives Galatians and subsequently us a few imperatives that I think are going to motivate us and help us want to pursue a relationship and friendship with the Holy Spirit. I've got three imperatives. If you're note takers, take these down. This is a teaching series, so this is all good stuff to write down. First imperative is this. We're getting this out of the Word. We must realize, according to Paul, what the world calls freedom, the Word calls slavery. What the world calls freedom, the word calls slavery. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul is getting into a mixing of terms and he's trying to untangle it. In a, in a book called 1984, anybody ever read George Orwell's 1984? It's a real good read for right now because it gives you a lens on things that are happening right in our day. But the big idea of this book, the main concept is that malicious, malevolent, controlling governmental powers over this fictional society had basically controlled and oppressed the people through manipulating and changing terminology confusing them and calling this, that, and that, this. And so the government had this slogan, war is actually peace. And ignorance is actually strength and slavery is actually freedom. Be good little citizens. And Orwell's haunting work not only beautifully shines a light on the powers this world will use to actually manipulate people, but it speaks to how we as human beings can be so easily tricked and duped into calling up, down, and down, up, and right, wrong, and wrong, right, and left, right, and right, left, and so on. Slavery is actually freedom according to the world. And what the world calls freedom is slavery. Paul is writing to the Galatians. Let me give you some context on the text, and hopefully this will start to make some sense. In the first four chapters of the letter of Galatians, Paul is writing to these Christians and he's correcting a problem. And the problem in their church is that there was a sect of people who were formerly Jews now following Jesus and they had left the, 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 the gospel of God's grace, the fact that Jesus has died and saved us and made us right with God. And now they were readopting some of the old religious system that they grew up in. And so Paul writes to them a scathing letter. I mean, he uses language with his church that would get me fired. Like he says, you fools, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And he gets into the fact that they're now falling into legalism. Now, no church that we've ever seen could ever fall into legalism. Fortunately, that was just a problem for them in their day. But he's getting into correcting this problem. He says, you foolish Galatians, was Christ not crucified? Was his grace not sufficient? After starting in the spirit, you're now finishing in the flesh. What are you doing? It's by grace you've been saved. He tries to untwist their idea of what it means to be saved. But then in chapter five, it flips into a different problem. 
There's not just the problem of the legalists in this congregation. There's the problem of people who had interpreted the grace of God as an excuse to go on sinning. Their problem wasn't legalism, it was libertinism. It was this idea that no matter what I do, I'm covered by the grace of God, therefore it doesn't really matter, so I can keep on sinning. And you actually, you see this problem in the book of Galatians. You see this problem in the Corinthians. If you read through Corinthians, it was a problem in the book of Romans. It was just pretty much a problem in the church. You see one of two traps. We fall into legalism to justify ourselves, or we fall into licentiousness that makes a mockery of the grace of God. And so Paul starts to dive into this problem of, of libertinism. There's actually a term for it. It's called antinomianism. And antinomianism is essentially the idea that because Jesus died and his grace is sufficient and God loves to give mercy, I can go on sinning because God likes to forgive me. Now, it sounds funny, but we all can get caught in that. This has been a problem right throughout Christian history. I mean, you look at the early church, you look at even, uh, uh, you know, Gregory Rasputin. Remember Rasputin, the, the historical figure who kind of got in the Russian political game for a season? His whole thing was, I'm going to go and I'm going to sin as bad as I can so I can experience the grace of God more fully. It's a demonic deception. And this was the problem that Paul was addressing. And look what he says. He says to the Galatians, you were called to freedom. Okay, so you're called to freedom. But he says, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for, and here's the word I want to dive into for a few minutes, for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not just give yourself to whatever feeling you have. Now, if you think about this propensity in all of us to, to have these cravings, the word flesh is the biblical language for your inner drives, for the deep cravings and appetites and desires that drive us all. The craving for food, the craving for sex, the craving for comfort. The, these are all cravings that are in all of us. And Paul calls it, the scripture calls it the flesh. It's the Greek word sarks. And he says it's important that you do not interpret the grace of God as an opportunity to gratify the sarks, the flesh. Now we live in a moment that is highly fleshy. Is it not? I mean, we live in a libertinistic culture. In fact, the highest volume, the highest volume in our culture is quote unquote freedom to express yourself how you want. Is it not? I don't have to unpack that too deep. You all know it's, that is the highest value. In fact, we have all kinds of uh, sacred sayings that we connect to that. Be true to yourself. Yes. Uh, live your life. live your truth, or yeah, live your life. You do you, right? This is, a, this is a terminology and an ideology that is, is, is sacrosanct in our culture today. This is the highest order of value, that you are free to be you as long as you don't hurt somebody else. You live your life. You do you. Anything goes and anything that gets in the way of me being me is oppression, correct? It's oppression. How dare you tell me I can't do that? How dare you tell me I can't be that? How dare you? That's oppression. This is how the world has defined it. Except Paul would come in and he would say this, that what you actually call freedom is slavery. Look what he says. He says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's saying there is a propensity that's deeper to gratify the flesh than you realize. You might think you're choosing to do that thing, but you are a slave to your flesh. 
It's actually involuntary. It's compelling you. Your desires are leading your life, is what he's saying. For the desires of the flesh, he goes further, they're actually against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're at odds with, odds with each other. And then he says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So his whole thing is, what you are calling freedom is actually you are stuck under slavery and law, the law of sin and death. And so he's trying to untangle terminology for us and helping us. He's saying, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's what Paul said. The apostle Peter said, people are slaves to whatever masters them. So literally, if you, if you struggle with your weight or you struggle with what you eat or you struggle with what you look at online, your flesh has you enslaved. Quite literally is what Paul is getting at. He's saying you're not actually in control. You're not doing you. You're doing your appetite. You're, and it's controlling you. Logic isn't directing you. Love isn't directing you. Your cravings, your flesh is actually directing you. And Paul's saying, you call, that, you call that freedom, I call it slavery. Your flesh owns you and your desires are actually preventing you from the good life, not procuring it for you. You're led by the flesh you're not free. Now, if you think about for a minute, are, are you all with me? Is this too, is this too heady? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be helpful for our next five weeks, so I've got to set this up. But if you think about freedom for a minute, like real freedom, we believe the idea when it says like freedom is the ability to do whatever you want. Well, yes, but maybe it's deeper than that. I think real freedom requires choice for sure, but it also requires control and constraints, doesn't it? Some of you are like, how, how is freedom connected to constraint? Well, think about it. Like in a marriage, I have voluntarily taken on the constraint of being committed to one woman for the rest of my life. And within that, we have a freedom. In fact, we had a funny moment the other night. Someone who I'm married to may or may not have stumbled upon the bachelor, bachelorette. And uh, I judged her with scorn for a few minutes until we moved on, but she said, she, she turned to me, she goes, I like watching this, hon, because it reminds me how grateful I am to be married to you. <laughs> and that I don't have to go out there and play the field anymore. And I don't have to, and, and, and it was funny and quirky, but, but what she meant was true. Like some people might call being married a ball and chain. Other people might call that freedom. Freedom from having to worry about, do I have someone to go home to who loves me? Do you see? It requires constraint. Or maybe let's take dietary for a minute. Some of you are like, I don't want the constraints of having to worry about what I eat or have to go and exercise. Well, you might call that freedom to eat Cheetos all the time. I call that slavery to calories. And I call freedom to be a little healthier, to climb up a hill, freedom. But it's the voluntary constraints that brought that freedom. Is that making sense? Maybe Tim Keller can say it better than I can. Not maybe. He for sure can. Look what he says. He says, freedom is not what the culture tells us. Real freedom comes from the strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It is not the absence of constraints, but it is the choosing the right constraints and the right freedoms to lose. Does that make, yeah, thank you, Tim. Thank you for, for, for saying what I can't say as eloquently. So Paul's giving clarity. So are, so are you with me? What we call slavery and freedom in the world are two very different things. What the world calls 
freedom, the word actually calls slavery because if you are free to serve your flesh, you are actually a slave to your flesh. That is what I'm trying to say. He's starting to bring this apart. Now, here comes the second imperative, bringing more clarity. Imperative number two. We have to realize, according to Paul, that the life enslaved to the flesh, if you are living to satisfy the urges of your flesh, you are a slave. But the life enslaved to the flesh ends in destruction. It it might start right. It might feel good. Like it says uh, in Proverbs, there's a way that feels right to a man, but its end is destruction. The life enslaved to the flesh ends in destruction, but the life in step with the Spirit leads to everlasting freedom. Paul's saying, I know, I know we're, 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 we're unlocking and twisting and un- untangling terms, but let me get this crystal clear for you, that the life of the flesh leads to destruction and the life of the spirit leads to freedom. And then he breaks it down what it looks like. Let's, let's break down the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. The works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Now, I love the language. He says the works of the flesh uses the word works. It's it's mechanical. It's industrial. It's mathematical. It's action reaction. Correct. He says the works of the flesh are obvious. They, they come about you eventually. It's just, you can see when someone is operating in the flesh. And then he breaks down this list that we read really quickly. And I think you could do a lot of things and different commentators and pastors kind of categorize it differently. I want to categorize it in four different ways. I believe there are four different kind of categories here. There's the category of immorality. So he says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, let's call it that. So immorality. Then he gets into issues of idolatry. We'll come back to that in a second. And then he gets into issues of community or issues of animosity with other people. And then he gets into this issue of intemperance. Let's break it down for a minute. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. He says sexual immorality. And then we, the word sexual immorality there, it comes from the Greek word pornea. That's where you get the word pornography. Everyone just, someone just peeked up. That's where you get the word pornography. And what it's speaking about is the, the gratification of lust unto the objectification of some other person who has been created in the image of God. That's, that's what it's getting at. Sexual morality is consuming some, someone or something in a sexual way. It's outside of God's design. It's objectifying somebody. It's looking at somebody who God created in his image as an object to be taken sexual immorality. Talks about impurity. Some of, your, uh, some of your translations say defilement. And that's really just the uncleanness that comes from the result of sin. Have you ever done something and you had the conviction of the Spirit and there was even some condemnation there, maybe from the enemy, but you just felt dirty? Yeah? Like, be honest in church. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you've never noticed that, you, you probably should. Um, Impurity. Then it says sensuality. What's he talking about? Uh, Some of your translations here say debauchery. What is sensuality? What is debauchery? In effect, it's the celebration of what is sinful. It's not just to do something, but it's to actually promote it and proclaim it and kind of revel in that sinful behavior. You don't have to look too far in our culture to find debauchery. 
Um, I saw someone, I saw a post online of a virtually naked man dressed as a woman pole dancing in front of kindergartners at a public library. That is debauchery. Full stop. Then he goes, he says, idolatry. The, the works of the flesh lead to idolatry. So not just immorality, but idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of anything created above the creator. So anything created, an idol can be absolutely anything that is not Yahweh, that is not Jesus, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Money can be an idol. idol. A phone can be an idol. A friend can be an idol. Comfort can be an idol. Uh, involvement in some club can be an idol. These all can, if they get to the place of supremacy in your life, it's an idol. And he says, that's evidence of the flesh. Then he says this word that none of you think affects you, sorcery. Like, there's no Gandalfs here, do we? Like, I'm not a wizard. I'm not struggling with wizardry. Anybody struggling? Struggling with wizardry lately? And I've never had somebody come in, Pastor Brent, I've just had this, I can't break free from wizarding. It's just never happened, ever. Although, if it did, that would be a story to tell. Um, what, what that word here actually, the Greek word pharmakeia, and that's actually where you get the word pharmaceuticals. And what it's talking about is the human manipulation of matter to take things into your own hands to control outcomes. So of course it does cover witchcraft and divination and sorcery, but it also covers drug use, uh, alcoholism. To, this is why later Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Anything to inebriate or medicate yourself in the place of God is in effect what it's talking about here. It's taking matters into your own hands. In the, first, in the first century, they connected this word to occultic drug use. They connected this word to uh, both uh, abort, abortion. They connected this word to all kinds of things that were basically your efforts to control outcomes. That's what he's getting at, sorcery. I got to keep moving. Then it gets into issues. So the works of the flesh, they, they, they manifest themselves in, in these ways. And then it gets into what it does person to person. How many of you have noticed that when we all give way to our flesh, it has a tendency of turning us against each other? That's what happens. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing the fracturing. And I don't, I don't mean this. You know what? You're, you're probably, you probably canceled me long ago anyway. It used to just be the LG, right? And then it was the LGBTQRSTUV. I've lost track. But what, what is that? It's the fracturing of community. It hasn't actually brought unity in that area. It's actually brought more, more actual fractions. And that's what the flesh does. When you live life according to the flesh, it turns you against other people. Eventually, my flesh is going to want something your flesh wants or doesn't want, and they're going to get, be at odds with each other. Does that make sense? So it says... The works of the flesh are enmity. What's that? It's, it's to be at odds. It's to be, uh, some, of your, some of your translations say hatred, strife, jealousy. What is jealousy? It's to long for something that someone else has. Fits of anger, temper tantrums, rage, some of your translations say. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, or envy. Let's stop there. So the work of the flesh turns people against each other. It makes us at odds with each other. The flesh does not bring unity. It brings discord. That's what the flesh does according to the scripture. Now let's keep going. Hang with me. So he says, 
Then he goes in, into the idea of intemperance, the last, the last section. He talks about drunkenness and orgies. Why did he include these things? And then he says, actually, and things like these. He kind of just ends his thought. But what he's getting at ultimately is this idea of intemperance. It's the general lack of restraint. It's this throw caution to the wind. I'm going to drink. We're going to get hammed. Right? It's, I'm gonna, we're, we're just going to go all the way until we can't go any farther. That's what he's getting at. And he's saying, these are the works of the flesh. Okay, now, are you still with me? So he's, he says, these are the works of the flesh, and they're obvious. And now here's the, here's the point that he drives home. I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he, he says, the works of the flesh are evidential in these areas, and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Their end is destruction. And so he gives us this warning. And I know some of you right now are like, well, wait, wait, wait. I don't really see myself on this list. Or maybe if I do, it's just a tiny little bit. But this is exactly Paul's point. That when you serve the flesh, over time, it will take you down a road of increasing debauchery, division, dissension, idolatry, all these things, it manifests in increasing order until it ends in destruction. This is why James said that desire gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. This is what happens. Your flesh will lead you to destruction according to the word. This is where it's going. It's the gradual creep of the flesh toward destruction. And you've probably seen it in your own life. How many of you, maybe you've gone through a season or maybe you know somebody like, you know, when a marriage falls apart and there's been, a, there's been adultery, adultery. Adultery is never an accident, is it? No one wakes up one day from a happy marriage and a healthy, healthy soul life and then decides, you know what? I'm going to step out of my marriage. What is it? It's the gradual creep. It's it's thinking that wrong thought and then harboring it. It's, it's responding to that message from that old fling that you had in high school. It's the, it's the gradual creep that leads you to that place of destruction. That's how it works. You've seen it. You've seen it in our culture. The gradual creep of destructive things. C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, The Great Divorce, probably my favorite C.S. Lewis book, he, he said, he and uses this analogy, he said it like this. Hell begins with a grumbling mood. And yourself still distinct from it, perhaps even criticizing it. But there may come a day when you can do that no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood nor even enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. That is a huge statement. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you into something that w different than it was before. Does, does that make sense? Your decisions are not of, of no consequence. They're active. They do things. Look what he says. He says, And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, and impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. This is what Paul is getting at. This is what C.S. Lewis says. I, I, I remember seeing it really clearly one time. 
I had a really good connection uh, with a, an individual who was a, a biological male living as a female and having some conversation and just like really heartfelt, honestly, like a, a beautiful connection. Uh, but listening to their, to their testimony and I heard as they were saying like, you know, I, I'm, I'm living this life now. I feel like I'm being true to myself. And as I've done this, I lost my job, which I really used to love. My marriage obviously imploded and my kids have disowned me. And they're watching the tears flow and thinking to myself and even saying to this person, I, I don't know, I, I'm, not, I'm not denying that those feelings aren't real. Not for a second. But I am wondering if they're worth it. Like you're telling me you've lost the most meaningful and powerful and beautiful things in your life to stay true to this. I'm wondering if it's leading you to a place of increasing destruction. And this is what Paul is getting at. It's imperative that you untangle true slavery. Do not believe the messaging from corporate America. Do not believe the messaging of the media or political ideologies that tell you you have to stay true to yourself. If you keep choosing your flesh, the end is destruction. Have you got that clear? All right, let's get to the good. And then Paul he says, you don't have to live that way. Ha, ha, ha. I just, I, just feel the, I just feel the weight of the spirit on that. You don't have to live according to the flesh. You, you don't have to live. Like, I know it's loud and sounds authoritative and you have the weight of culture affirming that voice, but you don't have to live according to the flesh. Look what Paul says. He goes on. He says, but... The fruit of the Spirit, notice that's a different word than works, isn't it? It's not something you do. It's not something you manufactured or conjured. This is something that happened because the Spirit was near you and in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think these things, when I, when I meditate on these things, how many of you know that these things are actually deeper than the cravings of your flesh? These are the things that your soul longs for, aren't they? These are the deepest longings of the human heart. These are the things that ultimately drive us at a deeper level than even hunger and appetites and cravings, don't they? And he says, these are, this is the fruit. This is the byproduct of knowing the spirit. Against such things, there is no law. These are what happen when you walk with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's he saying? Against such things, there is no law. He's saying you're free. You're actually free. There's no law of destruction and sin and death. There's no even law. You're not held down by the authority of the Ten Commandments. You actually will fulfill them by the fruitfulness of knowing the Spirit. Against these things, there is no law. Your life and the fruitfulness of your life becomes the byproduct or the offshoot or the produce of knowing God through the Holy Spirit. And I know like it's really easy to take a message like this and say, okay, this all leads to destruction. Don't want this. I'm going to quit sorcering right away. <laughs> and then what you want to do is say, okay, verse 22, fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to go out and I'm going to love better. And I'm going to be more gentle and kind and full of peace. Let's go. And then the first person that cuts you off on the road on the way home, you're flipping them off. They're like, ah, well, self-control. We'll try again. 
doesn't work like that. And that's why that, that, that's, you can get right back into that other ditch of legalism. Paul is not inviting you to turn from the flesh and run back to the law. He's inviting you to turn from the flesh and turn from legalism and follow the Spirit. And as you follow the Spirit, guess what? You get transformed. And you, in the, in the, in the wake of the Holy Spirit, get to walk in peace. And you get to walk in increasing joy. That's how it works. That's why, I, for, for me, I grew up in the holiness movement. And I've been untangling uh, this idea that to, to live the life God wants me to live, I have to be a good person. And that's not how it works. Like at the campground that I go to and I love, it says right on the gate, it says, dedicated to the pursuit of holiness. Well, if holiness is a moral standard, that is slavery. If what you mean by holiness is a moral standard and you're dedicated to trying to obtain that, you are a slave to the law. But if holiness is a person you follow, you are truly free. My job is not to be a good person. It's just to stay in step with the Spirit. And as I stay in step with the Spirit, I start to get changed. And I can testify, I am still a work in process, but I have changed. And I have not changed because of my own efforts or my white-knuckling ability to not be a sorcerer. I have changed because I've followed the Spirit in increasing measure. And, and the more I learn to stay in tune and in step with the Spirit, the more I change into all these things. So, sounds good, doesn't it? He says you can truly be free. You won't be stuck under the law of sin and death. You can walk with the Spirit. So we need to bring it in for, in for a landing. Let's read the last two verses. So he says, verse 24, we get into the, what it looks like, right to the heart of it, all right? So he says, verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. We've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've, now, for those of you who don't know what crucified is, remember, like, it's what happened to Jesus on the cross. That's a very aggressive statement. That sounds harsh, it's because it is. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have said, I know I have that feeling in my flesh. I'm crucifying it. And then he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So it's a twofold instruction. If we are going to be the people who live life full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and who doesn't want to be those people? He said, it's going to be because we've learned to crucify the flesh and keep in step with the spirit. There's this kind of like intersection of crucifying the flesh and keeping in step with the spirit. It, it, this, is the, this is the place at which true life happens. Now, when he says, let, let me give you my third imperative and then we'll, 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 we'll wrap up. Here's the third imperative. Our life in step with the spirit begins when our life in service to self ends. Our life in step with the Spirit begins when our life in service to the self, to the flesh, ends. And it's the cross that actually sets us free from the flesh and into life with the Spirit. When it says the word in step, it's actually using like language that's related to like the military. 
I know we don't, uh, like modern warfare doesn't do this anymore, but if you picture back like the American Revolutionary War, what would they do? They would all line up side by side, correct? And they'd have a drum, drummer and they would march with their muskets locked in line in rhythm. And the word in step there is actually referring to like that military in lock, in step with a drum beat. And you'd stay in rhythm with that drum beat. And that's what it's speaking to, to live life in step. And so when he's saying live life in step with the Spirit, our job is to actually walk in rhythm according to where the Spirit is going. And here's where the, ne- the, the crux of the matter is. I can either walk according to the rhythm of my own heart and the drum beat and march to the beat of my own drum, or I can march to his, but I can't do both. And so the true Christian life is learning more and more to tune the rhythm of my heart into the rhythm of his heart and yield my will to his when they're at odds. I just said something really important. Christianity following Jesus is learning how to walk and tune my heart to the rhythm of his heart and my will to his will and crucify my will and put down my drumbeat when they're at odds. And as you do that, you will become more like him. He wants to set us free. Here's the most culturally incorrect thing I'm going to say all day. The invitation of Christianity is not to help find yourself. It's to deny yourself. The invitation of Jesus is to not help you find yourself. It's to die to self. Look what he says. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. Take off whose cross? Take off whose cross? I thought Jesus was the only one with the cross. No. He invited us to take up our own. What cross? To deny ourselves like he denied himself and to say, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus already showed us how to do it. And the invitation is to take up our cross and follow him. Look what he says. If you, if you give up, he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are destroyed? Okay, so how does this play out? How does living in step work itself out in real time? Can I take two more minutes? You still with me? Halifax, Dan, Dan's with me. You have to be. You're on payroll. What, is it, what does it look like to live in step with the Spirit, crucifying the flesh in real time. Well, let me, let me like use my own week. So as I was walking through my week, obviously processing this, there were a few moments where I had a moment of decision. I was at an intersection where there was what my flesh wanted to do and there was what the Spirit wanted to do. And for instance, one, I had one day where a very stressful situation came up and my flesh wanted to worry and my flesh wanted to take control. The spirit was full of peace and the spirit wanted me to trust it, trust him. So in that moment, it was a decision of my will. I, I I refused to serve the craving of my flesh to worry. Or for instance, um, I was out for a run this week and I was running by Quispamsis Middle School, one of the middle schools here in, in, in the valley. 
And I was at the end of my run and huffing. And I mean, it was hot out and I was ready to be done. And as I was running past, I felt the Spirit say, I want you to lay hands on that. Put your actual hand on all, all the corners of this building. And I, I, want, I want you to pray that, that this, the kingdom would invade there this fall. While my flesh wanted to take a break and get a drink. <laughs> but the Spirit was saying, I want to do this. There are these moments of decision where will you tilt towards what the flesh wants to do or will you tilt toward what the spirit wants to do? That's what it looks like to live life in steps. So I don't know what it's gonna look like for you. Like maybe for some of you, you know, you constantly are going to social media to get validation for your self-image, but the spirit wants you to believe that you're already valuable because of how and who he made you to be. You can keep going to social media to gratify the cravings of your flesh for likes, or you can trust the voice of the Spirit that says, I like you. Or maybe anybody traveling lately? Anybody through Pearson Airport lately? Oh boy. That's the place, my wife can attest, that's the place where like the true nature of Brent Ingersoll comes out. I remember one time I, uh, I, we were like ultra delayed. Thank you for playing the music, by the way. We were like ultra delayed and I was angry and they lost our luggage and I'm standing there ready to get on. And my wife's like, you need to chill out. And literally someone turned around that was in front of me, Pastor Brent. And I was like, uh, God bless you. It's so good to see you, my son. Like, <laughs> I was like so angry. Uh, but like, okay, so, so next time I travel and I'm in Pearson Airport and they lose my luggage and they, they don't have anybody to do anything and you're delayed 10 hours, I can either get angry according to my flesh or I can trust that God is my doorkeeper and the Spirit leads me and if He wants me to be late, that's fine. Right? That's what it looks like. It's really quite simple. It's these small little decisions. I think we think about Christianity. It's like, hey, we're going to take the mountain for God. That's great. But like, let's just do the day-to-day -day real well. Let's, let's actually win the little decisions according to his will and not ours. Amen? So that's what we're going to do for the next handful of weeks. Some of you are like, okay, keeping in step. I got to crucify the self, the self and then learn to walk in step with the Spirit. So now after all of that, I've brought you to the place where the next four weeks... We're gonna look at the ways that we keep in step with the Spirit. It's based on this promise. Paul said this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption or destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Amen? So for the next, the next, five, uh, next four weeks, we're going to cover four ways that we learn to walk in step. Four tools and things that God has given us to help us walk in step. We're going to break these down for the next several weeks. Would you stand with me at all locations? I want to pray. I'm going to pray a real simple prayer. and Just open your hands to receive it at all of our locations. If you want to learn to walk in step with the Spirit and you like the invitation of being full of love, joy, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control, peace, then let's pray this prayer. Father, help me keep in step with your spirit. Help me learn to walk in your wake, full of grace and truth. Equip me 
Empower me to know you better. Help us in this season, Father. I just pray this for us all. Help us in this season to learn to walk close to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen, amen.